This is episode number 40 of Lamenting Beliefs. Thank you for joining us, uh, us being myself, Cam McCachron. Nick is here. Uh, Mr. Richard, how are you today? Uh, great. How are you doing, Cam? Doing well. And uh, resident cool guy, Keith Whipple, <laughs> joins us as well. Hi, Keith. How's it going? Resident cool guy is grounded by the new restrictions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <sighs> I'm, I'm one foot into a lockdown over here in New Brunswick. We're not looking good. No, it's not looking good anywhere right now. Uh, joining us uh, as a guest, our first of the season, is Kyle Cushman, uh, Nick's colleague at the Leafs Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle underscore Cush. Uh, and Kyle, your Leafs prospect rankings will be available at theleafsnation.com by the time folks are hearing this. So we'll get into a lot of uh, prospect chat on this episode. Uh, but uh, thank you for, uh, for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, excited to be here. I didn't know I was the uh, first guest of the year. That's pretty big. Yeah, it's it's been a little while. We had a few in the off season, but um, it's 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 time to to ramp back up. And right. well, it's I don't even know of... when we're going to see the Leafs yeah. play again. So uh, it, it, we we got to figure out some content options here as as we're uh, recording this. Some news just breaking about more positive cases with the Canucks who are, of course, the Leafs' next opponent after uh, their game with the Flames was scrubbed. And the Flames have, like, basically everyone in the organization in COVID protocol right now, it seems. So um, the next few days will be interesting to see, you know, what what that does to the Leafs' schedule and and schedules around the league. Um, Every sport is just getting whacked right now with with COVID. So you got to love it. We're coming up on year three. And... um, just living our best lives right now. It's, yeah, it's really great. I'm a, li- I'm a little bitter. I've got. A, I had a concert that I was supposed to go to this week got canceled, and so if I'm crabby on this episode, Kyle, I apologize. <laughs> I, I got lucky. I got a concert last Saturday, so I'm all set. Yeah, you got your quota in before the restrictions came back. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll we'll just start off with some overall impressions. Leafs. Uh, won two of the three games since we last recorded, including slapping around the Oilers, which is always fun mm-hmm. to see. Um, so big win there on Tuesday night. Um, let's start with our guest, Kyle. How, how are you feeling about the Leafs uh, of late? Um, it been a lot of blowouts in the last three weeks, which I love to see. Yeah, it's been uh, a little bit higher scoring recently. Um, a lot of goals recently, but... Um, I think especially in that game against the Oilers, it was kind of that getting back on track kind of game. We'd seen the high scoring games, a lot of 5-4, kind of 5-3 games recently. Um, But against the Oilers, against Connor McDavid, the Leafs were able to lock it down um, and had just a really strong game throughout. There was a little stretch there, I think at the beginning of the second it was, when the Oilers were coming on strong, uh, the Leafs held firm, and then they got a goal back and just kind of seemed to kill the Oilers at that point. Um, But yeah, it it was nice to have that nice little high-scoring stretch, Um, but I'm sure the coaching staff and everybody would like it if it's a little bit more locked down. Jack Campbell was still good against the Oilers and was still tested, but I think that was a nice little game uh, before a couple of days off to get back in kind of the way that they want to play in the games that they want to win. Yeah, and the the goals against lately have been obviously creeping up too, but I think a lot of it, the the kind of cause for concern would, was kind of the way that they were happening to and, and the yeah. time of the game that they were happening. I mean, if you look at like Columbus and and uh, and Chicago, it's kind of letting teams that are not that good back into the games is is probably not a great kind of habit to be getting into. But I mean, they got the lead on the on the the Oilers, and like you said, after uh, you know, it's it's bound to happen when you're winning that there's going to be push back from the other team and kind of those like score effect kind of, you know, um, weathering the storm for a little bit, the other team pushes back, but they, they were able to do that successfully against a team with a lot of firepower. I shouldn't say like not a lot of quantity of firepower, but what they have is obviously top notch. So it was good to see them actually be able to kind of lock it down and, and play defensively responsible in a way that, um, didn't allow a team kind of off the mat. Um, but I, the, kind of encouraging thing for me was that there was still a lot of offensive zone time when they were defending the lead. They were still trying to, like they were on the attack. You see Matthew score late. I think that's how this team's going to defend. It's not necessarily going to be just, you know, setting up shop in the defensive zone and keeping them to the outside for an entire period. They're going to have to try to attack to, to kind of get through those, those get, get, well, get, you know, get home with a game and, and not have the team creep back into it. Yeah. And to your point, Keith, I think, 
it, they are going to be have to, or they are going to have to be able to weather those storms, especially when they're leading games and teams are, are pushing to get back into it. And I thought that they did a really good job of that for the most part against the Oilers. You're talking about a team that has two of the the most high powered offensive threats in the league, in Connor McDavid and Leon Drysital. And while Drysital you know, missed a gimme, I think those guys were were held in check for the most part throughout the night. Uh, I thought it was funny, Cam, you, you tweeted uh, after the game, Zach Hyman was invisible. Obviously, uh, Hyman wasn't able to suit up in his, his first chance against his old team. But I thought that, for the most part, Connor McDavid really was invisible on the night, too. He had a couple of exciting dashes early on in the game, but he wasn't really able to generate a whole lot on the night, I didn't think. And, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely an encouraging sign that the Leafs are kind of able to lock those games down and you know also get the goaltending to weather those storms on those occasions. Yeah, the two big highlights for McDavid were, were – you know, not, you know, not good ones for him, you know, like tipping in a shot and then kind of getting walked by Nylander and basically just coasting in. Yeah. So yeah, definitely a, a, a win when you, when you're going up against McDavid, he was held in check pretty much all night. And, and even the dry sidle chances, like if you, if you hold the two of them together to like two or three scoring chances in a game, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and if you're able to do that, the Oilers don't really have a whole lot coming behind no. that. So yeah, I think the the Leafs have kind of zeroed in on that game plan against the Oilers in the last couple of years. They've been able to find some uh, they've been able to find some success against Edmonton. So, yeah, it was nice to see that continue on Tuesday. Yeah, you got to love an, an off night for those guys. Uh, <laughs> Oilers don't have much of a hope on those nights, eh? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's as we said, a little touch and go right now with with the COVID situation. We'll see what happens here with uh, this Canucks game. On the weekend, um, Leafs also set for their first visit to Seattle on Sunday. Um, That's right, yeah. Which should be fun. So, um, I mean, you, you hope to get four points, I think, is the uh, – yeah. it goes without saying this weekend, but maybe you've only got a chance to get two if, if this Vancouver game's canceled. But uh, yeah, it's a couple of teams that have not been so hot and uh, – probably like to, to make a little bit of hay and you know when you're rolling this way like I'm I, I, I feel myself placing some prop bets on a, a few Austin Matthews two goal nights over the next week mm-hmm. I, I placed a prop on his shots on goal last night missed by one Damn. oh that's tough <laughs> yeah it's tough it's so nice to see him scoring those goals that he's like the last goal last night where I mean yeah early in the Almost season they were third one like that too yeah I know and early in the early in the season there was so much just him, you know, scoring from in tight, you know, just banging in garbage almost. I mean, he still had a couple of really nice goals, but lately you're starting to see that kind of shot that absolutely nobody in the league's gonna gonna stop. And I think we talked about it before where I don't think that the zip, like the velocity was kinda always there. It was it just seemed to be maybe not dialed in accuracy wise or, or just timing wise um, coming off of an injury, which is to be expected. But you're seeing him now just like that that shot's fully back it's dialed in and, and it's that's nobody's stopping that yeah and i think maybe that the the impact of that surgery and missing all of training camp and the preseason and the, the first little bit of the regular scene we probably underestimated how much that was going to have an effect on matthews coming into the season uh i i think that he, he's definitely found it as of late but the thing is is it still kind of looks like he He's, now, I don't want to say sleepwalking because he's, he, he's putting in a, a great effort all the time and leading the team, but it, it still doesn't feel like he's totally on and he's still marching back towards the, the league goal-scoring lead. So it, it's just remarkable to think about what not only Matthews, but this entire team could be capable of if everyone's healthy and going at the same time. Yeah, and part of the expectations came from just how good the season debut against the Rangers yeah. was, that mm-hmm. overtime game where he probably should have had two, maybe even a hat trick, um, and then kind of slowed down from there. But like over the last 10, he's averaging 4.7 shots per game. He's got 13 goals. Um, he's still been getting those like net front bang-at-home chances. And if we're getting some of the shots and stuff like that, like we saw in the Edmonton game with the last goal, um, it, it's just so, so exciting to see. Um, because it, it, the whole thing all season long has been the Leafs have been winning games even with ex-player not necessarily being the top, top player that they've been. And the last couple of games have been without Martin in the lineup, without a couple of guys in the lineup. Um, and Matthews, I think, especially getting to see him 
be that primary sole guy on a line with a couple of helpers with him in bunting and caution in the last game. But he's the one doing all the work in terms of getting that goal. Um, and, and it's just really cool seeing him get that opportunity because otherwise it would be with a Nylander on his wing, with a Marner on his wing, yeah. and it would be like a kind of a duo effort that we've seen. We've never really seen Matthews since like his rookie season when he had like Hyman there, but even that season he had Nylander with him. Um, so it, it's been really, really cool to see. And yeah, it, it's hopefully we don't get too many postponements and cancellations because he's uh, he's finally finding his rhythm. here. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Kyle, because that's something we talked about, I think, on our last show was we made note that it was interesting that Nylander wasn't immediately moved back up to that spot when when it right. became yeah. obvious that Mariner was going to miss an extended period of time. So we were actually talking about how it was going to be interesting to monitor how Matthews was going to be able to kind of progress and take charge of a line and maybe kind of carry a couple of guys or help elevate their games and I think that while Kasha and Bunting have both been playing really good hockey themselves I think that Matthews has elevated their games as well and on top of you know seeing that deadly wrist shot return and the goal scoring tear that he's been on I think that his defensive play was really you know on display particularly against uh, the Oilers and McDavid on Tuesday night he had a number of plays specifically against McDavid where he was able to break up plays and take the puck off of McDavid's stick and start pushing it the other way for for the Leafs so i think we're really seeing him come into his own as one of the best two-way centers in the game and i think that you know people need to start giving him his due there yeah you had a a, a fairly viral tweet to that and nick um yeah know, so he, it seems he, like some people kind of agreed with that eh? <laughs> He, he's been unbelievable, obviously, from the goal scoring front, but yeah, just all over the ice. But the, the other thing that really um, that second goal kind of put into, um, you know, perspective for me is just how rarely in a game you actually see him get that much room, right? Like how, yeah. how tightly they're playing him at all times. And as soon as he gets that space... I start saying uh, a, a short prayer for the friends and family of the goalie's water <laughs> bottle that is about to suffer just a, a horrifying end because it's like it just feels like a sure thing. As soon as he gets a little bit of room, no back pressure, it's just him and one defender and he's going to blow that thing through him and through the goalie. And it's uh, it just feels like absolute money in the bank every time that he gets a little bit of space right now. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's, I don't I had no doubt in my mind that once that puck hit Kasha on the clearing attempt Tuesday night and Matthews had that much room by himself yeah. there, there was no doubt oh man how good is Kasha like <laughs> I he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players to watch in the Leafs like he's just a pit bull like he just yeah. never stops forecheck <laughs> is so good it's kind of easy to understand why he's been hurt so much though. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna play. say that yeah yeah he's just no like, wonder he's played three games over the past two years <laughs> yeah yeah he got he got run who was it there ran him over and then he went at him and then he just bounced off of him like in the, i think it was the chicago game. oh uh, uh what's his face on chicago murphy murphy yeah the, the guy that matthews yeah. knocked on his ass a couple of seasons ago there but yeah yeah, yeah that's right kasha is just he he's a wrecking ball out there it's it's remarkable that he hasn't missed more time this year because how many times have you you seen a play especially with kasha where it's like it, it almost seems like he, he does in combination with like playing at a breakneck pace he has that worst luck where he takes these awkward hits or these funny collisions or gets his head he driven like into the ice yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he has a death-defying moment every single game <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> and it seems like every every game he he's like does go to the bench kind of like limped or like maybe yeah. gets attended to on the bench or something like it's not like he's got through completely like what clean. against the oilers he got slashed yeah. at one point and like went back yeah to the, borrowed like, time. It's, it's no crazy. call on the slash yeah he, he he plays he plays with like the frenetic energy of like an edge rusher like he's just yeah. no regard yeah. for just absolutely keep the legs pumping at all times um, extreme mikhail grabowski vibes oh yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> that's exactly who he looks like out there yeah um so let's get into some prospect chat because, um, as we mentioned, Kyle, you have your Leafs uh, prospect ranking going up at theleafsnation.com. And um, it's been an interesting time to follow Leafs prospects. Um, you know, I think that we're all kind of in the boat, the three of us uh, here on the show that, 
you know, we followed a little, I mean, Nick, obviously you're full bore into it now, but from a Leafs perspective, um, a lot more exciting and, and a lot more energy spent on prospects, at least for, for myself and Keith, I think, when the Leafs sucked ass. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now it's, it's so much about like, um, you know, getting good value on those late picks because so many of the early picks have been dealt away. Um, and obviously you had that, that kind of the hunter years that uh, uh, have have uh, nightmare fuel. have hurt us a little bit when it comes to the prospect pool but the thing that um you know stands out to me from from the leafs prospects the last little while is just how much value you, they're getting in the, the fifth and sixth and seventh rounds and you can kind of see that reflected um in your rankings kyle we, we won't go through the whole thing we won't spoil it again the leafsnation.com <laughs> we'd be here a while i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah um but i i wanted to start with a guy we, we talked about a little bit on our last podcast who is your biggest riser um from your preseason edition of the rankings ryan torberg who's been ripping it up for uconn uh in the ncaa and um got a surprise invite that's why we were talking about him last week a surprise invite to canada's um camp uh, for the world juniors which they have a final roster now he didn't make it uh, which is no surprise it was the, the surprise was that he was there at all um it, we'll, we'll get into the the world juniors a little bit more later but um what have your impressions been of torberg this season yeah, he's been he's been a revelation this year. He's always been a, a fun prospect to watch and somebody that I've always kept an eye on because, and I'm sure it's been mentioned plenty of times before, but uh, at the 2020 draft, the Leafs had 11 picks. Um, and late in the seventh round, they had made their final selection. It looked like they were done. And all of a sudden, they traded a future seventh round pick to get back into the seventh round to draft some point-per-game guy out of the OJHL who is average height, a winger, nothing overly remarkable to it. But the Leafs have only on a couple of occasions traded into a draft pick since Kyle Dubas has taken over. So there was clearly something that caught their eye in that pick, of course, was Ryan Twerberg. And uh, last year, he was supposed to join Harvard uh, with their winter sports being canceled. They didn't do he He didn't end up doing it. Uh, he practiced out in the BCHL for a little bit, ended up switching his commitment to UConn. And when he went there in the second half of the year, in the second semester, um, quietly put together a, a pretty solid few games. He had seven points at the end of the season, playing in a bottom six role. But the thing that stands out with Twerberg is he's got some speed, he's got some skill, but he absolutely loves trucking over people. And that's the thing that really catches your eye in the highlights. And so going into this year, he was somebody that had climbed up a little bit um, on my rankings and was somebody that I was looking at maybe getting inside the top 20 if he had a decent season this year, expecting him to play like a third-line kind of role as a sophomore still. And this season with UConn, he's just come out of the gates flying. He leads the team in goals right now with nine. He leads the team in points with 16. Uh, as you mentioned, of course, getting the uh, invite to Team Canada out of nowhere, having no previous history with Team Canada outside of the World Junior A Challenge, which is a fairly nothing tournament in terms of Hockey Canada standards. Um, he started on the third line this year, quickly ended up at the first line right wing spot, which he's not given up this year. And so for all those reasons, um, he's up nine spots on my ranking well inside the top 15 now. Uh, and if he continues playing the way he currently is, there's a shot he gets inside my top 10 by the end of the year. Yeah, he, he has been a revelation, Kyle. I think you nailed it there. Like to, to be able to hit on that kind of value and see such a a rapid progression from a seventh round pick in such a short amount of time. You know, I, I, as you said, a guy who the Leafs had to trade back into the seventh round to, to select. And, you know, a little over a year later, he's getting the call to go and uh, compete for a roster spot on Canada's world junior roster. And, and I, I think that also speaks to the style of game that he plays. As you pointed out, he's that kind of player that it, the Canadian junior staff typically loves to have a guy like that on their roster and it, it's just a nice feather in his cap to have been recognized and to have earned that nod to, to be in consideration for, for that roster. He's been UConn's best player whenever I've watched them this season. He really has grabbed hold of that top line spot. Uh, there's just a lot of pro level instincts and traits in his game, uh, even if he's not able to really translate all the offense uh, to the pro level in the future. There's enough there that you could see him being a really effective energy player in the, in the bottom six of an NHL lineup. 
Yeah, and that's part of the big thing for me as well is that NHL projectability, which is often the thing that is the concern with late round swings and on skill guys, small guys who look great at the junior level, but is a massive question mark once they get to the pro level. And that's something that we've seen a little bit with a couple of prospects uh, with the Marlies this season who have maybe struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season in in transitioning from that junior level to the professional level. For Twerberg, he's kind of had to do a similar thing going from the OJHL to the NCAA in, in hockey there with UConn uh, and he's not missed a beat and so uh, when you look at his game he he absolutely projects as somebody that can be a fourth line energy guy or can play higher up in the lineup depending on how things go for him these next couple of years uh, and, and that's another aspect of it as well he's at UConn he's in his second year there so the Leafs don't have to commit a contract to him for like another at least two years if you look at how long he's going to stay there. So um, a, a great late-round swing that has looked really good so far, a, a late-round uh, find out of the OJHL, a guy who hadn't, who didn't even have like that crazy numbers out of the, the junior Canadian system with 51 points in 47 games in his draft-eligible year uh, in a lower-tier draft uh NHL draft league there so uh he's been very very impressive and uh all over the season I've been calling him your favorite Leafs prospect that you don't know about (laughs) yet I don't know how much longer I can keep calling him that because he's on a lot of people's radars now um but yeah I'm looking for him to have a great second half of the year as well uh with the extra uh kind of feather in his cap like you mentioned there of having that Canada invite now um Keith just an FYI uh just did a quick google and Fredericton to Stores, Connecticut is less than an eight-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. We uh, we're very close to the border, so I could uh, could make that work. You know, boy, you, you can just hit me up, boys. I'll I'll send you some game tape. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we got to get those live viewings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game tape. I, I can't have the tour boys painted on my chest with, with the fellas and watch game tape. Um, so uh, taking a look at, at some other guys on, on your list, um, you know, we wanted to talk about obviously a few of the, the top guys, Kyle. And um, I, I think that another guy who, who didn't really move on your list because he was already right up near the top. Topi Niemela um, has also had a, a pretty fantastic season. Um, you know, we, we talked about him a bit on a recent episode and, and, you know, Nick was we were kind of picking Nick's brain about, um, you know, when might we see him come over? What's what's the timeline for uh, Niemela? But I guess, you know, you can you can tackle that if you'd like i'd also kind of be curious on your thought as to his his ceiling at this point and and has your thought on his ceiling changed at all over the last you know um i guess just since since he was drafted and, and the way he's he's progressed since then yeah so when he was drafted the the main kind of talking point with niemela was how sturdy he was defensively and and kind of how he was playing up an age group, playing in his draft eligible year with Carpot in Liga, which is something we don't see too much, uh, especially for defensemen. Um, and going into the draft, he was like a fringe first round, kind of solidified as a second round guy. Um, but for some reason, at the beginning of the 2020 season, um, Carpat had sent him down to start the year, and he started the year in the U20 league. Um, and so the 2020 draft, of course, was a draft that was held in October. So the European leagues had played about a month of games before that. And I guess some teams were scared off by him by being sent down after playing his draft eligible year fully in the Liga. And he fell all the way. Carapot the... had a really strong roster, though. That, yeah, at that th- point. that's I fair. Think that's something yeah. that people didn't take into account. They had made some moves that offseason prior. Yeah, exactly. And for whatever reason, um, he ended up falling to the top of the third round where the Leafs ended up getting him with a draft pick, of course, that was acquired from the Senators. So the Senators could go up and trade for Tyler <laughs> Cleveland, who was a big defenseman. And the Leafs instead get Roni Hervinen and Topi Niemla, uh, who all three of them will play in the World Juniors this year. So there's that. Um, but I, I think I like what the Leafs got yeah. instead there. But for Niemla, as I was mentioning there, he was drafted as kind of this defensive defenseman who had some good transitional ability, a good pass, things like that, a good skate. Uh, 
Um, and he was injured a lot in, in uh, last season. He played a, a great World Juniors, but outside of that, he was kind of in and out of the Carpat lineup with injuries. And this year, he has just blown everybody's expectations away. He's got 24 points in 31 games as we record this. He's been, at times, the leading scorer in the entire Liga, regardless of position, regardless of age. Um, and it's completely blown away the expectations of being this like defensively responsible guy who can make a good pass and maybe be good in transition to a guy who has the ceiling to be a legit top four option who can give you a little bit of offense, who can play that defensive game. Um, and it's very exciting to see. The The problem that I had in, in ranking things is that the two guys ahead of him and Nick Robertson and Rodion Amirov have barely played this year because they've both been hurt. And so for for my rankings personally, I, I don't really, especially with the shorter term injuries like they had, um, I don't like punishing players for being hurt there. So Niemela stays at the third rank spot for me uh, with Timothy Liljegren graduating from my list here with playing more than 25 NHL games now. Uh, and so for Niemela, he's in that third spot for now, but the way that he's playing, if maybe Amirov or Robertson falter when they come back, of course, Amirov is already back and well, not really because the coach <laughs> won't play him. Uh, but for Niemela, he's got the World Juniors coming up again. He was already the top defenseman at the last tournament. He's going to be the workhorse defenseman again for Finland here, who have a pretty decent roster. And so uh, a lot of Leafs fans are going to get to view him again. Uh, but in terms of that potential, yeah, he, he's blossomed from that kind of like maybe a, a bottom pair, strong transitional guy who can play some defense play some penalty kill to this much more offensive potential guy who has seen some of the defensive games slip a little bit in terms of the Corsi numbers and stuff that are available out of the Finnish Liga. Um, but overall, he's just a very, very exciting prospect right now out of Finland. I think, uh, as you alluded to, some of those underlying defensive numbers and stuff, I think uh, when you watch him, you can kind of see the, the increased confidence that he has, especially with the puck on his stick so far in Liga this season, uh, I think it's been reflected in his point totals as well. I think he's really took, taken it upon himself to try and make more happen offensively. He's really been joining the rush a lot more this season. I've always really found him be, to be a, a proactive player in the offensive zone, kind of darting in and out of space from the point and just sort of shrinking the zone and things like that. But this season, I think that you can maybe explain some of those or some of the regression in those underlying metrics to the the fact that he has been kind of pushing for more offense because that's what's been asked of him. But he has also delivered on on those asks from his coaching staff. So I I think that you have to take that into account. Um, Again, as you said, when a player is drafted for his defensive instincts, I think John Lilly, the director of amateur scouting at the time, said that they felt Niemela had arguably the best defensive instincts in the entire draft class. And that is also evident when you watch him. He's very proactive off the puck in taking away lanes in transition and leading with an active stick and all those things that help to push play and limit opposing possessions. When you combine that with the offensive upside that he's shown this season, I think that he he's kind of reaching that point where you can start saying the sky is the limit for this kid because if he continues to round out his game and blend those skill sets together – there is definitely potential for him to be a, a top four defenseman at the NHL level, and it might not take that long either. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll probably see him at the end of the season with the Marlies on an amateur tryout. That's usually what happens with the top European prospects when their season's over. They start a little bit earlier, so there's usually a month or so left in the AHL season and then any playoff games after that. So we'll probably see him at the end of the season. His league contract is up. We'll see what happens there, but I could easily see him coming over to the Marlies for next season, and probably that's the most likely scenario with how good he's been this season the one thing I will add though is I'm not necessarily sure if he's going to be that like power play quarterback or something like that at the at the NHL level he's got those good offensive instincts and he's been good uh this season in it but I do think they're inflated a little bit with some secondary assists and stuff like that um and maybe not like the the booming slap shot or anything like that from the point and so the I think he'll be a good five on five scorer uh he's been that this season I think he'll continue to be that good in transition solid defensively those kind of things I just don't know if that like next level of offensive ability and being a power play quarterback and stuff is maybe what we'll see from Niemela which is maybe a bit different from what the point totals and stuff suggest from this season yeah I've kind of sort of compared his upside uh, recently especially with you know his surge in the last few months or even going back to last year's world juniors 
I've kind of compared his upside to that of Rasmus Sandin's with perhaps a, a yeah. little bit less offensive upside, but I also think he's a better skater than Sandin is, and that could help improve things on the yeah. on the defensive and, and side. And a better defender in his own zone. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. So I think that their upside is similar, and you know maybe somewhere down the line we're looking at a pretty effective pairing for the Leafs in a few years. Uh, one of the guys that you mentioned, obviously, that you had ahead of, of Niemela being Rodion and Mirov, I know it's tough to ask questions about him right now just because of how little he's played and, and just kind of the, the weird uncertainty of what's going on over there. But just even just on a more general level, I mean, I think kind of the knock on him when he was drafted or kind of the the reason that he maybe kept him out of the top 10 was, you know, a, a lack of, of kind of defensive effort and maybe some kind of uh, stretches of, of kind of being, I don't want to say like he, you know, just, just maybe not being as engaged as as he could be kind of thing um is i know sometimes labels like that just get attached to young skilled players and not always fairly um and it could be a situational thing where he's just being you know uh, deployed and coached in an offensive way where they're telling him not to worry about defense is that a fair criticism of his right now and is that something that would be kind of the main thing that he's going to need to work on to to become you know a, a top six nhl regular yeah, it's something that's been kind of attached to him as of late, and I I get it to a certain extent, but I think it's more attributed to the effort and consistency of it rather than pure defensive ability, yeah. because out of the draft, he was one of the top transitional players in some of the data that was tracked by a few different people. Um, he was playing KHL games as a draft eligible, which is impressive in its own right, and doing so as well for one of the top teams in the KHL in Salavat Yulai of Ufa as well. And so um, he was playing a minimal role there. He was um, not getting a ton of ice time. Last year is kind of the sample that we really have to go off of because this year he was injured in preseason, came back for a couple games, got hurt again, and since coming back from injury the second time was in a couple of games and has since been dropped from the lineup for some reason. But for last year, um, he played a really solid top nine role for, for Ufa. He had 13 points, nine goals in 39 games. Um, and, and the, I think the, what the coaching staff wants from him is that kind of professional KHL game. Whereas we view things through a different lens of being an NHL prospect. Yeah. And in, in those terms, uh, he's somebody that has very strong transitional ability. We saw it at the World Juniors as well. He's got that strong offensive ability as well. When he gets in the zone, he's got a, a pretty pretty solid shot and, and good passing ability and things like that. Um, but I think his, his work ethic in the defensive zone, I think, goes underrated because he gets labeled as one of those skilled, smaller players, even though he is six foot, because I think part of it is because the Leafs drafted him yeah. and they kind of have that... Uh, kind of stereotype with some of their draft picks and things like that. But uh, for, for myself, in looking at Nick Robertson and Rodion Amirov, um, I actually look at them pretty closely because even though they were drafted a full draft apart in almost a year and a half based off of how different the drafts were in terms of when they took place, they're actually only three weeks apart in, in age. Nick Robertson is a September 2001 birthday. Amirov is an October 2001 birthday. And so I, I look at them pretty closely. And Amirov, I feel like, is the quote-unquote safer player in terms of having that transitional ability. I, I like his defensive game more than what he's been given credit for recently. And Robertson has that higher end potential with that shot, the scoring ability, but maybe a little bit less NHL likelihood in terms of being that top end player. So at, at the top, it, I really was looking forward to this year. And then Robertson got hurt right away and Amirov got <laughs> yeah. hurt right away. Um, but I do think that going back to that Amirov defensive ability stuff, I feel like that tag has maybe been a little bit misplaced on him. I think it's important to note that and this kind of ties into what both of you guys said about Amirov. Um, at last year's World Juniors, he was you know, one of their most trusted penalty-killing forwards on that Russian team. And I think that that kind of speaks to perhaps the gap you see in what is expected out of a guy when he's playing against his peers as opposed to when he's playing in what is arguably the second-best professional hockey league in the world. And I think that kind of speaks to what you guys are saying about how the coaches might expect something that pro level refined perfection in his off puck game at the KHL level. Whereas when you're, you're looking at his projection as an NHL forward, you're more so looking at, does he have the, the right idea? Is he in the right place more often than not, than not? And you can, you have to sort of 
squint to see what it's actually going to be when he's a fully developed player. But I think that I agree with the fact that that label has maybe been placed on Amirov a little bit unfairly. I really like the way that he kind of competes in the defensive zone and quickly, really quickly, like transitioning play out of his end and, and driving it forward for his team. So it's an interesting question. And I think that uh, if we if we were able to see him again this year at the World Juniors, he, he just aged out of it. Uh, I think that some of those concerns maybe would have been put to rest because I think he would have been playing that prominent role in all situations for that team again yeah it's it's interesting because i think he has three kind of knocks against him that are going to be tough to shake like he's a young skilled player he's a kyle dubas draft pick and he's russian yeah, yeah. And that, those that's going to be some it's gonna be interesting to see like how long is it taken slash it's probably not even gone yet from like a from Nylander's game like that's still a weird conception about him that he's not a defensively responsible player when we see him making great defensive plays all the time but just the fact that he's European and all that crap but yeah I, I that I'm it's gonna be interesting to see if that's something that he's able to shake even before he gets it gets to the NHL yeah and he'll be given those opportunities with the Marlies as soon as the end of this season uh we know that d- it, it kind of depends how far Ufa goes in the KHL playoffs because they are one of the best teams in the KHL consistently. They've been a top three team in their conference. I think like the last six years they've been to the conference finals, the two last times that they had them because in 2020, the, the KHL playoffs were canceled halfway in. Um, and so it'll depend how that overlaps with how the Marley season is and things like that. But we expect Emirov to come over. He's already signed to an entry level contract. Um, so he's on loan to UFA right now in the KHL. He has to be there the entire season. That's kind of what we understand it is right now. It's not like a Nylander situation when he was over in the in the Swedish league where they could pull him halfway in the year like they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's over there for the whole season. And when Ufa's season is done, he'll come over to the Marlies and they'll go from there. Um, but yeah, at, once he's with the Marlies full-time, I expect him to be a first-line player and a first-unit penalty killer, kind of similar to what we saw with like a Casper a Kapanen, where they get a lot of that penalty kill time. Maybe they're viewed as this offensive guy who's maybe not as good defensively or whatever, um, but he'll definitely get those opportunities with the Marlies um, as soon as the end of this year. Another guy that I, I really wanted to ask you about, Kyle, um, and especially because we've already kind of t- touched on your top three, which is Robertson, Amirov, Niemela. Um, Matthew Nyes is just outside of that group now. He's already gone up a few spots from your preseason ranking because he's been a monster uh, with Minnesota this year. This is, you know, the the Leafs prospect I've seen the most of this year. I've caught a few of those games when they've been on TSN, and uh, he, he's I've come away impressed every time by by Nyes just not only with his skill and ability with the puck and his shot, but um, just the way that he can physically dominate a game, even as a freshman. And I I just wonder where you see him in terms of, um, you know, I guess, tiering this list. Like, is he a step behind those top three guys for you? Is he, you know, quickly moving up and could be in the top three or even top two by the end of the season. Um, What have you seen from him so far? Yeah, so I was maybe a little bit lower on Nyes going into the season um, just because there's some questions as to kind of who he was as a prospect going into this year. Because last year, um, he was going into the year as the top draft-eligible uh, scorer in the USHL the previous season in his draft minus one season. There were big expectations. And then the numbers were kind of the same over the course of the year, but there was more to it. And uh, we kind of first were tipped to maybe the underlying performances and stuff in some of the uh, post-draft press conferences with Kyle Dubas and then uh, kind of draft guy for the Leafs, John Lilly, where uh, they talked about some of the early season struggles that both Nyes and Tri-City, his USHL team, had with COVID and having trouble getting going in a rhythm Nyes had it early in the season. The team had to take a few games off, things like that. The first half schedule was a bit all over the place for them. Uh, and so over the offseason, after the draft, I'd kind of looked into the season splits and it, and it checked out. So in the first half of the season for Tri-City a year ago, he had 21 games and only scored 13 points. In the second half of the season, he played 23 games and scored 29 points. So that's a basically double uh, a little bit more the production in the second half of the year. So my question going into the season was kind of, 
who is nice? Is he the first half guy who maybe struggled with some consistency? Granted, he had the excuse of the schedule and stuff like that. Or was he the second half of the season guy who was looking like a dominant player, first liner, things like that? And this season, he's he's proven uh, through, I think, 16 games or whatever it is so far with Minnesota that it's absolutely the second half. He's grabbed a top six spot on one of the top teams in the entire NCAA in Minnesota. He's been a consistent scorer for them. He's been a consistent threat for them. Um, and he's kind of blown me away with kind of his his physicality that he's shown on the forecheck um, and his ability to create space for himself, for his teammates, and to generate scoring chances. So I have him just outside of that top three if you're going to tier it out. Um, if we're talking like kind of NHL 22 potentials, I'd have him as like a high top nine waiting to see a little bit more over the season to get to that kind of like true top six potential. Um, but yeah, if he continues things throughout the rest of this year, he can absolutely get into that next tier. And I think a lot of Leafs fans are going to be very excited by him when they see his performances in the top six coming up in a couple of weeks at the world juniors for the USA. Yeah. I think that's a, it was a really interesting question from Cam because when you're, Doing an exercise like that, a a lot of people measure those things differently. Like Kyle and I, for instance, I might value NHL readiness over upside more than he does or or vice versa, right? So I think when you're talking about these tiers and and those guys that Kyle has at the top of his list in Robertson, Amirov, and Niemela compared to Nyes, when you start looking at, you know, how projectable are their NHL skill sets – I think it would be difficult to argue that with what we've seen out of Nye so far that, you know, he isn't, you know, the safest projection out of that group of four players to, to be an impact player in the NHL just because of the way that he controls the game physically and yep. the pace that he's able to execute skilled moves under pressure. And I, th- I think I definitely didn't give him enough credit for how deadly his shot was uh, going into the draft last season. I think he's even continued to improve upon that. Uh, through the early part of this season. But when you're, you're talking about things that you can, I, I said before, you can kind of squint and see something with Niemela. I don't think you have to squint all that hard to see what Nyes is going to do at the NHL yeah. level, right? So I think when you're talking about uh, how you might value that over perhaps the, the higher end skill of a guy like Robertson or, or Amirov or even Niemela, I think it comes down to, to a matter of preference and just what kind of value you place on getting that kind of guaranteed NHL role out of a guy. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why he's up three spots on my ranking as well, is that kind of projectability to the next level, because he passes Nick Abrazizi, Roni Hervin, and Mikhail Abramov for myself. And Abrazizi is somebody that I still quite like. All he's done is put up points yeah. the last three seasons when he's actually played. Uh, he stepped into the NCAA and was arguably the top forward in the ECAC for Harvard, uh, but he's 22 already, and he's a smaller guy. He's an offensive guy who maybe doesn't have blistering speed or anything like, like that. Far That's less projectable than Nye, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Roni Hervinen, he's a center slash winger. He's played a lot more wing this year. He might play center at the World Juniors coming up, but he's a smaller guy. Again, doesn't have that blistering speed those kind of things. And so he's not necessarily the most projectable to the NHL, similar for Abramov, who's maybe had some more struggles transitioning to pro than maybe we thought he might. And so for Nyes, he has the size, he has the projectability in terms of the the speed and skill, things like that. And so when he mixes in the production that he has in a freshman season with Minnesota, I think it's hard to deny him that fourth spot for myself. One of the uh, kind of Concepts with with teams that are you know contenders like the Leafs and are up against cap and things like that is that you're going to need to get you know looking at like a Tampa Bay where you're going to need to start pumping these guys through that are on ELCs right. that are cheap that are you know ready to contribute in the NHL and you know fill spots that uh, that otherwise you know you're not going to be able to go out and afford to sign a UFA at a, you know three or four million dollars so you get somebody on an ELC. I know we had some dark years with the Hunter. <laughs> draft where that that would kind of be we'd be seeing that right now i think yeah that's where that's missing um, from the leaf lineup yeah right where now. we have like a window of so i mean it's it's tough to talk about the dubis picks that are you know still only you know 20 years old or under but looking at you know who's on your list and who's who's in the marlies right now and things like that i i would assume that nick robertson's the easy answer to this so maybe take him out of the equation and who who do you see as being kind of the closest guy to being able to step into 
you know, whether it be next year or the year after and provide some value on a, on a value contract. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned the, the dark hunter years and there's been kind of this thought that the Leafs don't have any prospects or that they're screwed because they don't have any ELC guys coming. Uh, and, and that's partially because of the thought of the hunter years, the drafts from 15 through 17, I think it was that, that he was all a part of where the Leafs took a lot of kind of lower upside, bigger guys, and a lot of them haven't panned out at all. And so there was kind of a gap in terms of getting guys through to the Marlies and stuff that looked maybe interesting to to come up to the NHL squad. And so we're starting to see the uh, Dubas picks start to make those Marlies debuts. We saw from the uh, 2018 draft this season, Dura Gachinsev, uh Kral, uh both make their uh, full-time Marlies debuts uh, this season. They've been to mixed results and stuff like that. But you, you mentioned Nick Robertson. He's obviously the uh, one to look at in terms of an impact guy higher in the lineup that can make that impact. Um, I think regardless of injury, I think we would have seen him basically spend the entire year with the Marlies because he's a smaller guy who's had some injury concerns and he needs to have that full professional season, which he hasn't had at all. Uh, I think it's also easy to forget that in normal circumstances, Nick Robertson would be making his pro debut this season, not playing in the playoffs like he did two years yeah. ago, like playing uh, all season pro last year. So it's easy to forget those kind of things. But looking down, uh, maybe not necessarily as much in the drafted guys, but um, for the big one that stands out and we saw him make his debut last week was Alex Steves and, and uh, a really kind of shrewd free agent signing out of the NCAA. The Leafs haven't really gone that way a lot in their uh, under uh, Kyle Dubas here, making those free agent signings out of the NCAA. They've gone more the Europe route. But in Alex Steves, he was a guy who was a really strong, even strength scorer with Notre Dame last year. He'd been a strong scorer for a couple of years. He was a younger guy as well coming out of Notre Dame at just still 20. He actually had a 22nd birthday last week. And so he's somebody that stepped into the Marlies right away and looked like a really strong piece that, like we saw over the last week, can step into a fourth line role and, and do a job. Uh, in that role. Another guy right behind him in my, in my rankings here is Pontus Holmberg as well, who after a very, very strong Swedish playoffs last year, where he actually won playoffs MVP on the championship team there, um, has stepped into this season, has become a first-line uh, SHL player, has been very strong all season long, scoring at a consistent rate. He's already He's signed. already almost matched his uh, exactly. point total from last season. Yeah, Exactly. He's been very, very strong. He's 22 right now. He'll be 23 by the end of the season. He's already signed to an entry-level contract. He's somebody that will, again, join the Marlies at the end of the season, and we'll see what he can do into next season. So uh, with the Marlies right now, there isn't still a ton of stuff that you can look at and, and be like, okay, this is a guy that can contribute as soon as this season you're probably looking at like your kind of fringe guys like your Christians Rubens stuff like that as being your options there but I think starting into next year is where we start to see those kind of returns from the Dubas drafts looking back to 2018 a little bit from 2019 as well and maybe start to see some of those ELC guys come through and start to challenge for some minutes because you'll have guys like uh, some of the defensemen there with a couple of years under their belts. You'll have some of the forwards there with a couple of years under their belt and really starting to push for things. So um, yeah, there, there's been a couple of guys that you maybe would have hoped would be challenging for a spot at this point. I think the one that really sticks out to me is Matt Hollowell, who had to spend some time away from the Marlies early this season, but he's a 23 year old defenseman was drafted as an overage guy, had some good numbers out of the OHL and things have kind of stagnated to hit for him first to a certain extent. He's maybe somebody that coming into this year, you would have hoped to take that next step to be a call-up candidate. Um, but, but looking throughout the Marlies roster, especially next season, I think is when we'll start to see a lot of those Dubas picks start to make the Marlies debuts. Rodion Amirov will be there as well. Um, maybe some guys like Topi Niemela, where we really start to see those Dubas draft picks come through to the Marlies and start to maybe give the Leafs some ELC value. All right, great stuff. Uh, Kyle, we really appreciate all of this uh, Leafs knowledge and also appreciate you coining, I think unknowingly, coining a new nickname, Dark Hunter. <laughs> 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 yeah, very uh, appropriate. Let's, let's maybe hope that uh, that that ends up in Vancouver because that. <laughs> yeah, that's just what they need. <laughs> yeah. Kyle's Leafs prospect rankings available at theleafsnation.com. Looking forward to reading that. Uh, it's not published as we record. Um, now, Nick, your <laughs> list has published. And I, I don't know if you guys want to do a word comparison. What, what did you come in at there, Nicholas? Uh, because I skimmed through <laughs> your uh, top 32 for the 2022 NHL draft, and uh, she's beefy by. 
A regular Sam Cosentino. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I don't want to be. Uh, <laughs> That's uncalled for. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not going to be uh, slandering it. Uh, poor oh, I will. That's it, fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm not going to. Uh, I, I won't fight you on it. But it, it, yeah, it was definitely a beefy one. I I, I think I stopped. Uh, checking the word count at like 7,000 so I was happy to, to wrap that one up and to get it published uh, been a nice <laughs> response to to the list so far as well so it was definitely a, a, a labor of love I guess you want to call it uh, watching a lot of hockey this year writing a lot of notes nice to kind of see it culminate in uh, in some worthwhile work like that I love it so right now so I'm weird and find it easier to write about the lower ranked guys than the higher ranked guys because Everyone talks about the higher ranked guys and nobody talks I'm, about I'm the, the same, guys. same way, man. I, nice. I totally nice. agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So if you want like 200 words on like John Fusco, I'm your guy tomorrow uh, when this comes <laughs> out. Um, but right now I'm at a shade over 5,000 and I've got uh, the top nine to finish off. So we're probably going to be clicking in Ooh. close to like 8,000. That, oh, so. that's real beefy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. We like it. Uh, well, we, we won't keep you too much longer, Kyle, but I, I did want to pick your brain, Nick, a little bit on, on, on just some of this, uh, uh, some of your, your guys here. I got, I got to number three before I hadn't heard of the guy. So, um, <laughs> Big draft not, guy over I, here. Big draft I, guy. I, I'm not doing great for this, uh, the draft knowledge this, this season for sure. Well, that's why you um, should read my stuff. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. Um, <laughs> But I, I did want to ask you because, as I said, I went through it a bit and there was a name that stood out in terms of just the, the way that you wrote about um, a specific player, Matthew Poitra, who plays for Guelph. Uh, you had him at number 19 and you kind of suggested that that might be a little higher than others have. And what do you what do you see in that guy? Yeah, he's actually been one of my favorite players to watch all season long. Sort of like I, I think you know anyone who kind of does this, whether it be as a hobby or as a regular job, uh, over the course of the year, you, you kind of stumble along some guys that you consider to be like uh, pet prospects, just guys that you might like more than than most other people you speak with seem to like them. And uh, Plotter has definitely been that guy for me. Uh, just it, I love everything about his game. He he really hard working forward uh but he's got a ton of skill too i i think that he, he's he, you know how when you're watching mariner and he kind of gets in there on the four check and he almost like baits an opposing defender into reversing the puck along the boards like fools him and makes him think he's going to do something else and is able to pounce on that mistake and, and i just don't think you see a lot of guys with that kind of skill and Every time I watch Poitra at the junior level, he is just a menace on the forecheck and in defensive transition, jumping into those lanes and swiping those pucks and able to create offense off of it. So just those kind of habits that I really love in a player's game. And I was actually really happy to to see that after I put out my list, I, I did get a couple of notes from some people and a couple of comments on my uh, Pwacha ranking and I, I didn't really get any pushback on it uh, even though it is a little bit higher than he's been ranked by most other outlets to this point so uh, it's always fun when you're able to kind of identify a guy like that and maybe take a swing on him or uh, go out on a limb a little bit for him like that and uh, it's received well so uh, you, you'll always run into instances where you have the opposite happen as well so it's nice when when, uh, when you not necessarily hit on a guy, but uh, get that recognition for for bumping a guy up your list. Um, not surprisingly, Shane Wright is your number one. Um, not going to knock anyone off their seats yeah, there. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> uh, well, even after, I think like by his standards, he had a slow start to the season. And I think that maybe started every year it happens, right? Uh, it becomes a conversation. We saw Matthews in line A when, you know, looking back, it, it never really should have been a conversation. It always seems like a bit of a, a narrative being pushed by the media to try and just make it a little more interesting around the top of the draft. And I think that those conversations were starting to happen with Wright's, again, relatively slow start to the season uh, by his standards. But he, he's really picked it up as of late. I just don't think that uh, when you look at the pedigree and his body of work and all that, that no one has done anything to, to knock him out of that top spot yet. He's, as I wrote on the rankings article, he's the he's a two-way scoring center that every NHL team dreams of building around. So 
no one's knocking him off of that pedestal yet. And uh, again, those rankings available at theleastnation.com. Wright will be a part of Canada's entry at the World Junior Championship, uh, Canada announcing their roster in the last few days. And uh, Wright will be there. So if you're a, if you're a draftnik, uh, you've also got Connor Bedard, who's a 2023 eligible, who I watched a bit of at, um, I don't know, was it the Holinka or the, uh, might have been the under... 18s maybe I, I under don't 18s remember, but yeah. he he was a stud and uh like, looking forward to seeing what what he does and what role his role is at this one he's a stud like two years younger than the, the rest of the yeah. guys in that tournament too so it's just uh yeah he's an electrifying player to watch um who who are you guys look most looking forward to i guess at, at this juniors to watch drafted undrafted whatever like for me i'm always you know interested to see the undrafted guys but um i, I think that mitchkov the russian is another guy that i'm excited to see against you know that competition because the 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 highlights that have been coming out on him like nick i think you first showed me him back <laughs> yeah. in like the summer 2020 and you were like this guy is just shredding this uh, all these guys who are you know three or four years older than him and, and I, I can't wait to see how he looks anyone who wants a good laugh just go over to matvey mitchkov's elite prospects page oh and, and look at some of his numbers from when he's like 14 and 15 years old it's it's just silly. It's ridiculous. And, you know, one look at this kid. Actually, I shouldn't say that because one look at this kid, he doesn't really – he's not the most aesthetically pleasing player all the time. Like, he's not the smoothest skater. He's not a super big guy. But the the scoring instincts and the skill with the puck, it literally is otherworldly. I don't really know how else to, to describe his game. He – we have arguably the the best goal scorer in the history of hockey still playing in front of us right now in Alexander Ovechkin. I don't really think it, it's too far out on a limb to say that Mitchkov has the potential to be like the, the next guy coming behind Ovechkin in that regard. Behind Matthews, you mean? <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I do have a question for you, Nick, and and if you want to chime in, Kyle, I don't know how much tape you've grinded on on these top top guys, but like you look at Wright and Bedard and Mitchkov are all in this tournament, and to me, it just kind of feels like these are the next guys who have the the capability to really be in that conversation as top guys in the league. And you don't always get that with first overall picks, right? Like it's, you know, it's, it's a scale, but like these guys seem like some of the best prospects we've seen since like the McDavid's and the Matthews. Would I be off base in that? Or or do do you think that these guys can all be, uh, you know, are are these kind of like the next three headed dragon almost coming in with, with, over those next two drafts? I think, um, Shane Wright in particular, um, he is very much, uh, that kind of, you know, potential franchise center that y- you really hope is available any year that you- you're the team with the first overall pick. I-, I think that he very much has that in him. He's a guy that a team is going to be able to build around. I'm not necessarily convinced that he's like a, a hundred point player every year, but, uh, super strong two-way forward who just does a lot of things to to push maybe more Jonathan Taves and Patrice Bergeron than Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews in to put it simply I guess um in terms of the 2023 draft look the fuck out because yeah like the the top of that 2023 draft looks absolutely ridiculous right now and not just with Bedard and Mitchkov but you've got Adam Fantilli coming you've got Callum Ritchie like some legitimately mind-blowing numbers and performances from those guys uh, before they're even eligible to be considered to be drafted. So uh, I think you're definitely onto something in terms of the the next class of like NHL superstars. I think you're going to see uh, a handful of them coming out of the, the 2023 class in particular. Yeah, I think you, you hit it right when you said, well, on, on Shane Wright as more that Patrice Bergeron type than kind of that... Um, Connor McDavid electrifying offense stuff like that he's somebody that's going to have that very very strong 200 foot game this is going to put up very strong point totals and things like that oh but yeah maybe great goal scoring stuff yeah, yeah yeah it, it, but 
but maybe isn't going to be that like next next level offensive oh my god look at this guy but when you look at a Connor Bedard who is putting up the numbers that he has already in in the WHL in his what draft minus three season or whatever it was and then this year um, maybe the point totals haven't been as high but he's still been generating the chances and is still uh, among the if not the top uh, even strength goal scorer in the WHL as a 16 year old still which should be his first year there things like that and then Matvey Michkov already playing a regular shift in the KHL for one of the best teams there and SKA things like that those two are going to be a doubleheaded monster and yeah like you mentioned there Adam Fantilli you can throw his name in there who's actually playing on a line right now with the Chicago Steel with uh, a Leafs prospect Leafs prospects and yeah exactly bring circle, it back to, with uh, Joe Miller there uh, who's been having a really strong season and, and slowly climbing up my rankings there as well and so you look at the draft and those three guys Already, you've got one of the best prospects we've seen coming out of Russia in, in many years, and Michkov there. You've got one of the best prospects coming out of the WHL we've ever seen in Bedard, and one of the top players out of the USHL right now in Fantilli, all eligible in the same draft in 2023. So that's going to be like the McDavid uh, Eichel draft plus another one mixed in there. So that draft is going to be ridiculous. But yeah, Shane Wright is more of that 200 foot guy. And then if you're looking for the really electrifying offense, I think we're looking at 23. Yeah. The Arizona Coyotes will cut you for a, a, a first round pick or a first overall pick in one of the next two drafts or both. I think they're probably going to try for yeah. both if if they're still in Arizona. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time, man. We we appreciate this a lot. Uh, yeah, this learned is great, a lot man. about yeah, some thanks. least prospects. Yeah, it was a good time. And, uh, Happy to be on. Yeah, it was great. We'll we'll have to do it again uh, later in the season and. Um, there's so many great prospects we haven't touched on, like Ty Voigt, yeah. uh, Vidi and like there's some guys we wanted to get to, so we'll, we'll have to do it again. For sure, yeah. Well, and hopefully we'll have some uh, some more Robertson and Mirov games to talk about then, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That'd be nice. Um, Thanks so much, Kyle, man. This is a blast. For sure. Yeah, check out uh, theleafsnation.com for Kyle's uh, Leafs prospect rankings and for Nick's um, first round rankings for the 2022 draft as well. And you can follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle underscore Kush and follow us at Lamenting Leafs. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 